Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Now, before you get too comfortable, if you don't already have uh, your little commit kit for communion, now would be a good time to go out uh, to the hallway and the foyer and grab that because we will need it. And the other thing is that we're going to be looking at a whole lot of scriptures today in a whole lot of passing detail. But to anchor us today, if you want to open your Bibles or your devices to John 13, 34 to 35. That's where we're going to keep coming back to. So uh, it'll be useful for you if you're the person who really likes to know what our, what our key source is today to have that open and refer to it. So, the first of all, the prayer is all the technology works today. I'm Tanya and it is my pleasure um, and privilege to speak to you this morning. So today we're in the third of our Awaken series. Uh, Mike Mills spoke to us two weeks ago, Awaken to God. Last week, Elliot Keane awakened to his mission. And today it's my um, task to speak to you about Awakened to Love for One Another. And I wanted to start with this quote from N.T. Wright. The church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. So, first week, Mike Mills. Second week, Elliot Keane. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two. To encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another and teach one another and to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up and urgent tasks to perform. So that's our context today, that's what we're doing, Uh, thinking about uh, what we can learn from what God teaches us about this third purpose, to encourage one another, build one another in faith, and above all else, to love one another. Now, I'm going to read uh, from Ephesians 5, from the message, uh, and I'm going to ask you if you'll humour me by closing your eyes, and then when I say the words, wake up from your sleep, to open them, please. So if you can just bear with me. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. 
Love like that. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you want to get out of them, the usual variations on idolatry, will get you nowhere and certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Don't let yourselves get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around with people like that. You groped your way through that murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. So today our message really is going to uh, come to us in a context where we have some really big questions that we're facing. The big questions for our time. How can we live in community when we come from so many different lived experiences and backgrounds and we have so many different opinions and expectations? How can we balance our individual rights, our needs, our wants, with the rights, needs and wants of our broader community? How can we live peaceably and civilly with one another if we disagree about which is the best way forward? And how, especially in the midst of a global pandemic and a changing climate, do we love and care for one another, especially for those who are most vulnerable or most difficult to love? Now, we can think that those are big questions that are unique to our time, but in fact, they are exactly the same questions that John was wrestling with almost 2,000 years ago, with the slight change that instead of a global pandemic and a changing climate, uh, we can exchange those words for under oppressive military op occupation and facing ethnic and religious persecution without vaccines, antibiotics or most other medications that we now have or medical treatment. But uh, a, a quick scan of the theological articles around what is known in theology as the Yoannin community, i.e. the churches that John uh, established, 
quickly shows that one of the key battles in those churches was dissension and differing views and differing opinions and how we're going to get on with each other. And when you look at John's writing, John's gospel and the letters of John, there is this constant talk about loving one another. Why? Because the communities didn't do it very well. And so John was constantly having to talk to them about those issues. So they're big questions for our time. They're old questions from at least 2,000 years ago, but they are particularly urgent questions for us now. And as we look at what has happened in this city, state, country, and around the world in the last three or four days, we see that they have never been more urgent questions. How do we live peaceably and civilly with one another when we may not always agree? So let's now turn to our core text today. John 13, 34 to 35. But before we get there, let's put it in context. Let's look at what's new about that text and then let's start to think about why it matters. So, I've, I've encouraged you to anchor, uh, have, have your Bible open and anchoring at John 13, but before we get there, let's start right at the beginning. So we know that uh, God gave the people of Israel ten commandments, and we read those in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and there they are, ten commandments, do this. And then we read in Deuteronomy um, 6, where God is... is uh, telling the people this is what you need to do to live successfully in a land of milk and honey. And then we come to what in Hebrew is known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then these important words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So we have the Ten Commandments and then we have this additional commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Then when we come through to the New Testament, we read in Matthew 22 an interaction that Jesus had with uh, a group of Sadducees and then a group of Pharisees. So two groups of religious leaders, both of whom would have regarded themselves as being very, very learned uh, in the religious law. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, The Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, and and they might have expected, oh, let's go back to the Ten Commandments, but no. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So an extra word of context that I didn't put in there was, of course, we had uh, had the Ten Commandments and then we had the whole of the book of Leviticus, which was detailed. This is how you live together when you've you know, got this condition or you've got that and you've got to do this in your farm and you've got to live exactly like this. So there was a huge, huge um, prescriptive list of words. So... 
When the Sadducees and the Pharisees were coming to Jesus, they might well have expected him to at least talk somewhat about that. But instead, he says, next one, there we go. Um, The second is like, love your neighbour as yourself. Really, he's wrapping up the whole of that book of Leviticus into that one phrase. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first. And the second, love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus had lots of interesting interactions with people who thought that they were very learned in the law. People who thought that they had spent their whole lives uh, studying what the scriptures said and that that they knew exactly what what they said. And so... Another one of these interactions we read about in John 5. And Jesus responded to these people saying, You study the scriptures carefully. You study them because you think they will give you eternal life. The scriptures you study are a witness about me, but you refuse to come to me and receive life. I don't accept praise from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have love for God in your hearts. And we're reminded in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10 that the scriptures are an encouragement for us, they're a hope for us, but they're also a warning. So Jesus was responding here to people who spent all their livelihoods studying what this word, this, this, this book said, and yet they weren't seeing what it was really saying. So that's the backstory, and now we come to John 13, 34 and 35. An iconic, an iconic verse that we see so many places. I give you a new command, says Jesus. Love one another. You must love one another just as I have loved you. If you, loved one, ano- if you love one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. As I said, an iconic verse. Love one another just as I have loved you. A beautiful verse. A verse that's um, been made into lots of beautiful posters and memes on Instagram and whatever, and that's displayed all over the place. But so often what we don't see is the context in which that comment was made. So let's put it in a broader context. This is the context where Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem, had been hailed um, as king of the Jews and was now having a Passover dinner with his closest disciples. But importantly, the context starts with after Judas had gone. Now, what Judas had done immediately before that was... Uh, Jesus had had said that one of his closest disciples was going to betray him. Uh, Judas was that person and Judas had left to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus knew full well what was happening. So that is the context now when he's giving this new command to his disciples. When he knows that one of the 12 people that was closest to him has just left to betray him to death. That puts a different slant for me on hearing him say, 
Love one another just as I have loved you. But let's also think about the context in a different way. After, Jesus, after Judas was John, Jesus spoke and he said, Now the Son of Man receives glory, he brings glory. And if the Son brings glory to God, God himself will bring glory to the Son. God will do it at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I'm telling you now, you can't come where I'm going. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? It's almost like Simon Peter didn't hear what Jesus had just said in the middle there. He didn't even, he didn't even stop to think what Jesus had just said. It was just, you can't come where I'm going. Where are you going? Skipping over the greatest commandment. And when I realised that that's how Simon Peter had reacted, I thought to myself, what bits of Jesus' message are we sleeping through now? How many times do we hear him say something to us and we actually focus on the thing before and miss the key message? The greatest commandment, the new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So these last three weeks, is God trying to wake us up as individuals, as a community? Is he trying to catch our attention to say, focus on the thing I'm really saying to you? The other thing about the context here is that John records uh, Jesus as saying, my children. So we've just had a moment where they're sitting around a Passover table and where one of the trusted 12 has left to betray him and Jesus then says to his disciples, my children, then gives them the new command. And Francisco Vero uh, notes that this is the only time in the gospel that Jesus calls his disciples children, treating them like a father does his young children. He can truly address them like this since, as Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one, and the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So this was a moment of special intimacy, and at this moment of special intimacy, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's loving as I have loved you. Earlier in the chapter, we read that Jesus has spent time washing his disciples' feet. They'd been walking on on dusty and dirty roads, and instead of having the lowest person in the household wash the feet of guests. Jesus, the host, had done that. And the disciples didn't really understand what was going on. He returned to the place and he said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. So you should also wash one another's feet. I have given you an example. You should do as I have done for you. You should do as I have done for you. And then later in John, after they've finished the meal, 
and he spends the night continuing to teach them, uh, knowing full well what's coming. And then uh, as he moves in chapter 16 and 17 into urgent prayer, he says, he repeats again, here is my command. Love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than the one who gives their life for their friends. Your friends, if you do what I command. And again, repeats this notion that you're no long, we're no longer slaves, but we're friends uh, and we're in fact uh, children. So this is a really different notion in terms of what love is and what the commandment is. The Old Testament talks a lot about love. And this precept of love was found in the Old Testament. But now something new is added. Jesus is presenting himself here in John's Gospel as the model and source of that love. And I love these words from Francisco Varro. His, this is Jesus' love is a love without limits, universal, with the power to transform even suffering and negative circumstances into opportunities to love. To love in this way will be the distinctive sign of his disciples. That sounds wonderful, but it's also super challenging. We're commanded to love each other as Jesus loves us. That's more than loving each other as we love ourselves. If we just love each other like we love ourselves we won't be distinctive as followers of Jesus. And as I've thought and pondered on that, preparing this, that has been incredibly challenging. Because normally we think about the measure of being, I'm going to love you as I would love myself. But Jesus' commands to us here in John 13 and John 15 are, no, that's not the bar. The bar's here. Love one another as I have loved you. What a long road we still have to travel as to live as Jesus teaches us. So the bar's changed, it's higher, but do we really understand what love is? We've got to define love in this context biblically not culturally. And our definition of love, says Stephen J. Cole, in a practical sense must encompass all that the Bible says about love. Now, I could preach probably, you know, a 10-week sermon on all that the Bible t says about love, but I encourage you to go on and look for that yourself. I just want to give you uh, a few glimpses as we go through. So our, our source text again, I give you a new command, love one another. You must love one another just as I have loved you. If you love one another, everyone will know you are my disciples. So what do we see in terms of how Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians? You must get along with one, each other. You must. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. 
And then another iconic scriptural passage that is so undersold so many times that we think of it as being all nice and gushy, but in in fact is one of the most challenging uh, pieces of scripture because you could try and substitute your own name into every place that you see the word love and think how, how short we fall. But it's, it's always worth reading again. Love is patient. Am I patient? Love is kind. Am I kind? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, do I? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, do I? It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. A real challenge for us to love like that as a distinctive sign of who we are as Jesus' disciples. Overwhelm those who work among you with appreciation and love. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Who among us here this morning are freeloaders? Who among us are stragglers? Who among us are those who are exhausted? And who among us are those who have enough strength to pull the exhausted to their feet? Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs, and be careful when you get on each other's nerves, as inevitably we will. Don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. And here's our model. Don't do anything only to get ahead. Don't do it because you're proud. Instead, be humble. Value others more than yourselves. None of you should look out just for your own good. Each of you should also look out for the good of others. And as you deal with one another, you should think and act as Jesus did. In his very nature, he was God. Jesus was equal with God. But Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. Instead, he made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of the servant, which goes back to those moments where he was washing his disciples' feet earlier in John 13. He made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. He was made just like human beings. He appeared as a man. He was humble and obeyed God completely. He did this even though it led to his death. Even worse... He died on a cross. That's our model. As you deal with one another, you should think and act as Jesus did. And lastly, we read in the Gospel of Luke the, the, an account of Jesus telling the story that's come to be known to us of the Good Samaritan, where uh, uh, someone is found bashed on the side of the road and Jesus gives three examples of three different types of people uh, who passed by. And it was only the person who would normally have been the enemy of the person who had been bashed that stopped. It was the Samaritan. The Samaritan stopped and aided someone who culturally, ethnically, religiously was uh, 
an enemy was someone they didn't disagree with, they didn't agree with, who had very, very different views of the world. And yet in telling this story, Jesus concludes by saying, go and do likewise. Stephen J. Cole makes these comments. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus extended the definition of neighbour to go beyond race or religion. Anyone in need who crosses our path is our neighbour. Jesus said that we should even love our enemies. John Stott suggests that this old commandment, this commandment uh, to love one another as I have loved you, became new when Jesus issued it. It was new in the disciples' continuing apprehension of it. The love of Jesus on the cross is inexhaustible. We can never plummet steps. And so as we grow in our understanding of his great love, we will go in our grow in our apprehension of how we must love one another. Jesus' command is both old and new. But we know that when it comes to the practicalities of learning to live in love, it's a lifelong process. You never can arrive at the place where you can say, I love everyone perfectly now, let's move on. You've got to work at growing in love on a daily basis for the rest of your life. And we see that the early church faced that same challenge. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we don't need to write to you about your love love for one another. God himself has taught you to do that and yet we're asking you to love one another more and more. Paul writing to the Philippians as well. It's right for me to feel this way about you. I love you with all my heart. God is my witness that I long for you. I love you with the love that Christ Jesus gives. And I pray that your love will grow more and more. And let it be based on knowledge and understanding. So our responsibility to love others is a commandment. It's not a warm, gushy feeling. And that should give you hope because God's commandments are not burdensome and God's spirit gives us the grace and power to obey his commands which are for our good. As John records in chapter 15 of his gospel, Jesus praying this and teaching his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. And I love these words of John Piper. It's not living out, but living on the love of Jesus. When Jesus says that the new commandment to love each other is a commandment to love as I have loved you, he draws attention not only to the pattern of love we follow, but the power to love that we need. Our connection to that power is by being connected to Jesus. The newness of Jesus' commandment is not only that Jesus has become our pattern for love by taking the role of a servant, but also that Jesus has become our power for love by himself abiding in the Father so that as we abide in him, we are given the very love of the Father with which to love each other. So that brings me to this conclusion. 
in our own strength, however much we might want to or decide to, we simply can't love each other as Jesus loves us. We can only love like Jesus with God's help and enabling. None of us loves perfectly. When we fail, we need to repent and ask the forgiveness of the one we wronged. It's a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But those who have met him at the cross will be growing in love for others. If we have met Jesus at the cross, we will be growing in love for others. And I confess to you, and we all need to confess, that we have failed many times to love others as Jesus has loved us. Many, many times. And even though we fail and keep on failing and will fail in future, Jesus still loves us enough to give everything for us. He loves us more than we can even love ourselves. So that brings me to 1 Corinthians 11, and let me read all of this. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realise is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master, that great symbol of his love for us. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered him and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. So we're about to take communion together. And as we do, remember that Jesus is saying to us, this bread represents my body, given completely for you, out of my inexhaustible love for you. Remember me. And this cup represents my blood, my irrevocable commitment to redeem your life by giving my life for you. So remember me. And what I'd like to do this morning is something slightly different to what we would normally do. 
I can hear that you're all opening your, your little um, cups and, and getting the little wafers there, which is great. But what I wanted to do is, is just um, take some time as a community this morning, we have a little bit of time, to share communion in small groups with those people who are sitting next to you or near you. Feel free to turn around and, and include the people behind you if, if you need to. To thank God for the gift of his son, that price, that, that, that incredibly costly gift of his son. To remember what Jesus has given, his very body, his life, out of his inexhaustible love and his irrevocable commitment to us. And then I invite you in your small groups as you take communion together to spend some time praying. We need to pray and we need to pray big prayers for our time because we have a big God. And these are some of the prayers that I wanted to suggest to you. I'll read them to you and then I'm going to uh, return to a group and then I just encourage you to take communion in your own time, uh, pray with those around you. But let me read these prayers first. E Esther will come up and, and conclude shortly. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to love each other as you have loved us. Father God, show us how to live together in community and in unity, even though we have so many different experiences, opinions and expectations. Our God who provides, teach us to wisely and compassionately balance our individual rights, needs and wants with the, want, the rights, needs and wants of our community. As we follow your example, Jesus, Prince of Peace, help us to live peaceably and civilly with one another, even when we disagree about which way forward is best. And as together we face the challenges of a global pandemic, a changing climate and rising inequality, we ask you, everlasting God, creator of the universe, to enable us by your Holy Spirit to love and care for each other as Jesus commands and especially love and care for those who are most vulnerable or most difficult to love. So I encourage you now to remember Jesus as we take the cup and eat the bread together. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.